Hello and welcome to Revival and Extinction, the video games podcast where I play a game for at least five hours and tell you how good it is. And tonight, everyone, it is off with their heads because we're off to France during the French Revolution. Good evening, folks, and once again, welcome to Revival and Extinction. So tonight, I'm going to kick off a little project that I've been talking about or thinking about for some time now. Um, So for this year, I am playing all of the Assassin's Creed mainline games um, in order as they are ranked worst to best. So... There are 12 mainline games, um, and there's a very well-written article by a writer at Screen Rant who has, I guess, inspired me to play the games in in that very, very much order um, of worst to best uh, because... You don't want to play best to worst because that's just going to make it a worse time for you as you go along. Um, so the article is written by David Caballero um, back in 2021. 
and the first game on David's list was Assassin's Creed Unity. Um, so I'm kind of going off my caveat of how I usually do things with these games because I am going to play these games at least two storyline completions, so well over the five-hour mark. Um, most of these games are going to be well over the five-hour mark that I normally limit on these projects. Um, so I will be playing them entirely throughout the story and then talking about them. Um, so Assassin's Creed Unity is a 2014 sandbox adventure game, action adventure game, a sequel to Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, um, kind of, I guess, in terms of the timeline, the outer timeline, at least. Um, that's correct. Um, the game has the player take on the role of an initiate as they explore the story of Arno Dorian, who joins the assassins to investigate the murder of his adopted father on behalf of his adopted sister, Elise, who is a member of the Templars. Um, so that's, I guess, a basic overall kind of lead-in to the plot. Um, so the first thing that I thought of when I started playing this game was the Count of Monte Cristo, because that is what kind of jumped out at me so you you don't actually start off as Arno. It jumps you into the, I guess, present timeline, in inverted commas, that runs through the Assassin's Creed universe. Um, I'll be running off the, the worst to best kind of ranked throughout this. Um, so it's going to come in jagged in the timeline. But essentially, you passed the first four. So this was essentially Assassin's Creed V, um, and the mainline plot is set in 2014, where you play a Helix user. So you're, you're an unnamed protagonist in this sense for that character. So Helix is this immersive video game that Abstergo Industries has brought forward to the present day to kind of use the people that are the ancestors of these assassins to find what they call apples of Eden or pieces of Eden, which are magic relics, essentially. Um, they want to find them in the present day, so they use descendants of assassins and Templars to kind of go back and use their their memory DNA, in, in want of a better term, to kind of go back and find it. So, And they've created this ploy through the use of Helix, which is... In other words, a video game server, very similar to Sword Art Online, that throws these people into different memories of different ancestors to kind of find these pieces of Eden. Um, so you you do play Arno through the majority of the game. However, you essentially play a Helix user in 2014 and go through the memories of Arno. Um, so the very the very first prologue actually has you as the Helix user and chucks you into the memories of a Templar in the service of Jacques de Molay back in 1307 in Paris um, and shows it being attacked by the force of King Philip. Um, so using this um, during the battle, it tells you to hide what's called the Sword of Eden and a codex. So you run through the battlefield and it gives you kind of a tutorial you're tracked down by 
an assassin called Thomas de Canelion. Um, so you fight with Thomas um, and you hide the sword and the codex in a resting place underneath the temple. Um, however, as you walk out, boom, you're killed by Thomas and you kind of jump back into the 2014, I'll just call him the Helix user's body, um, which is where you, you kind of SAO experience is hijacked by the modern day assassins. So there's Bishop and Sean there. Um, they're characters that you will see throughout the other games. Um, basically the only importance is that you decide to work with them to kind of stop the Templars from getting this mystical item in the present, which is where you jump into a board to 1776 um, where you play as Arno Dorian so you start off as kid Arno you follow your dad into a business trip um, and then you get distracted by a girl you play with her you run through the stealth mechanics and you come back and your father's dead um, so then you're taken into the care of the father of the girl that you were playing with Elise Delessere, you're taken in to care under Francois Delessere, who is, of course, a Templar Grandmaster. Um, and, of course, Arno's father was an assassin. So we're already starting to have Romeo Juliet vibes coming through here. Um, you jump forward 13 years later, so 1789, where... It introduces teenage Arno or early 20s Arno who has been living with Francois Delessere um, all this time. Elise has gone off to empty school learning what noble girls did back in France during that time um, and she's come back basically for her coming of age party at the Palace of Versailles. Um, Arno's given so Arno's adoptive father goes off to the party. Um, Arno was invited um, because he's seen as a lower class citizen. He's a ward of Delessere, but he's not seen as equal to him by any means, um, even though he's aware that Elise and Arno have a romantic kind of, kind of vibe going with them there. They're very much the star-crossed lovers. Um, so before Arno can run off to break into the party, um, because he's a rogue, he's stopped by someone, an associate of Delessere, who we later find out to be a Templar, who has a letter for him. So Arno quickly shoves it under Delessere's office door and then goes off to the party. Um, so he goes to the party, meets with Elise, they have a little tryst before they're interrupted by a guard. And Elise shoves Arno out the door. Um, and on the way, he sees Delessere, who falls to the ground dead. Um, and then Arno's framed for murder um, by two men. One being Charles Del Charles Sievert. Sorry. Um, he's then taken in, in prison in the Bastille, which, of course, is basically the plot of Count of Monte Cristo. Um, man is framed for a murder that he didn't commit, chucked in the Bastille. 
And that's where the plot kind of goes from there. He meets his mentor, starts training with the assassin. Of course, he meets his father's old old friend, the assassin's in there, and then continues on his quest for revenge, um, going through killing the people that were connected to the death of his adoptive father, essentially. Um, you meet some well-known French faces throughout, including Marquis de Sade, um, Napoleon Bonaparte, and Maximilien de Respect. Um, so essentially you go through, you find all these people. Turns out there was a plot for the assassins um, to kind of bring them back to the old ways because the assassins had gotten very political, very diplomatic, um, keeping their killings to a minimum unless they absolutely had to. And some of the assassins didn't see it that way, including including Arno's mentor. Um, who he then, who he met in the Bastille. Uh, Pierre Belloc. Um, so he betrayed the assassin, was working with the Templars to try and get them back to the old order. Which in turn led to the death of Elisir. Um And there's yeah, tension throughout and Arno doesn't end up hearing his name. Um, basically Arno and Elise find the main Templar called German. Um, and they also find the Sword of Eden. Um, the sword explodes from the power of it, killing Elise and mortally wounding Jaman in the process. Um, Arno kills Jaman in with his hidden blade, I guess, explaining the full circle there. Um, Arno then carries Elise's body out of the temple um, and then kind of reflects about being an assassin and the creed. Um, this jumps you back to the present um, where they, in 2014, uh, where Bishop Ben Sean discover Germain's corpse uh, in the catacombs in Paris um, and they're happy because the bones would be too difficult for Abstergo to extract the DNA. And then Bishop praises the Helix user for their work. And that's the end of the game. So overall, overall story-wise, it was great. Um, it felt really immersive being in Paris. Um, the, the main quest was kind of... You know, you could tell where it was going through the majority of it. There weren't too many shocks. Um, they kind of grandstanded Bellic as the betrayer quite early on. Um, however, the side missions were definitely, definitely the big strength of this game. Um, I remember one particular side mission near the start of the game where you have to 
you interact with um, wax museum aficionado Madame Tussaud. Um, famous, famous wax museums all over London. Um, and you have to go and find three severed wax heads that have been stolen by various people in France um, or in Paris to kind of <laughs> for, for some very, very strange reasons why they're attached to these wax heads of these people that have been killed um, throughout. And just the interaction with the, the Parisian side quests was great and I guess the main strength of this game. Um, everything else, not so much. Um, it brought back the finance system from Assassin's Creed 2. Uh, so you were able to accumulate money quite easily, I guess, throughout the game. Um, so I had medium to high level gear um, by the time I was just after halfway through the game itself. Um, it prides itself on its co-op for this game. Um, however, of course, with the servers being shut down on Xbox One for this, um, I wasn't able to link in with any co-op. Um, the pro being that you could still play the co-op missions and get the exclusive rewards that were from those co-op missions in the single player. So you can play solo, still do them. Um, same with the heists, um, which are a great little, little addition to the game and I feel really kind of blended in with what Assassin's Creed should be all about, whether it will be throughout these coming games. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but heists were basically you breaking into a place, stealing an object, and then having a bonus for not being detected when you were. Some of these probably did require co-op because I found them, the ones that I did do, I found quite hard. Um, so yeah, they probably did require, I guess, the teamwork and the communication to effectively pull them off well. Um, however, I was able to do a couple. And this, this is basically, unfortunately, where the pros that I talk about this game end. Um, so I hit what can be a game-breaking bug in this game quite quite early on I got through five of the or up to chapter five of the main story um went to fast travel back to your cafe facade which is basically your your assassin's base um it's where you have your uh, monetary accrual you can view all your weapons you can view all your costumes that you have unlocked so far and I accidentally hit the the button to transport me to the DLC levels, which are termed Chapter 14. Um, and there's a good reason for that because it's post-game post -game content. And um, every, yeah, it's called Dead King's DLC chapter 14 of the game essentially um yeah look all the enemies are super scaled they have the best gear um they have 
ways to work around all your abilities and coming in essentially at a level five character instead of a level 14 character. Um, yeah, I was stuck for a long time. Something, for some reason, Ubisoft or the developers of this game did not make it so you could exit that memory without first completing the first portion of it which required moving through a lot of enemies, a lot of enemies, um, even turning off the console whilst loading into that memory didn't reset me back to the main game in Versailles. Um, so I was stuck in post-game content having to get past essentially a nine, nine tier up of baddies to get get back to the main game um took me about two hours to get through what's meant to be a five minute bit before you can get back to the main game um so it's essentially nearly game breaking if you do it and from the internet correspondence that i looked at trying to work out how to get past this past this part i was not the only one who went to the dlc early um because it's actually like the where the icons are on your your map to kind of fast travel over they're quite close so you can easily easily click on them and it appeared that it was a common common mistake that quite a few people have made um so rather than re-rolling eight hours of a save backwards um i pushed through it i did get through it it wasn't game breaking for me i didn't give up um However, what that meant was I was I was done with this game after that. So essentially after 10 hours, I was done. So I just rolled through the story as quick as possible to get to here. I didn't finish any side content that I had planned to. Um, I did the bare minimum for what I could to get through the story to finish up with this game um, because I was done after that. To have such a poor, poor mechanic in especially for post-game content um leave it locked till the post-game if it's meant to be post-game um yeah and i know this game was released with bugs to begin with um the controls being one that is still around to some point but i'm guessing the bugginess is nowhere near as bad as it was on release because i did not have that bad a time with this game prior to jumping into the DLC. Um, so yeah, I, you can definitely tell the physics are off, especially if you played later Assassin's Creed games, especially up into the Origins Odyssey type type um, grade there. Um, look, you'd run up things, you'd jump off unexpectedly, and then you'd die. Um, that happened a few times. Not that many, not as many as I was expecting, but you can definitely tell no, tell that Arno's um, movement is sluggish and like off kilter. Um, you need to kind of do that Mario thing where Mario jumps and you predict that he's going to overshoot, um, so you pull back in the jump. You kind of had to do that with Arno and his traversal of of France. Um, that being said, France looked beautiful. Um, I think they said this was the first game where they scaled it one-to-one. Um, and, yeah, it was great. Like, as long as the traversal wasn't too complex, um, I had a great time running around. Um, 
Assassin's Creed is one of those games where I, at least when I play it, am very methodical. When I get to a new area, I go straight to the observation point, um, get that so it opens up what the map is, go through, get the chests I can, do the side quests I can, um, open up the the financial gain through the through the cafes or the social clubs um, in that aspect. Do what you can for your level set to then move on to the next. Um, I just find it easier in my, my I guess, traversal of the game, and that's my formula that works well. Um, so traversal for me needs to be top tier um, to get through it because you're spending at least a good 20 hours in all these games. Um, even if you are blasting just the storyline for the majority of them. Um, so, yeah, the controls weren't that bad. Um, look, some of the fights, the, the combat wasn't, again, not too bad. Once you got the perfect counter down, you did kind of become OP until you reached those later enemies, which could, I guess, counter you back. Um the problem with that is the animation of the perfect counter could be interrupted by another guard or another person hitting you from your blind side. Um, whilst that animation is going on and you can't do anything about it, you can't roll, you can't hit X, you can't, yeah, you can't counter a counter while you're in that counter animation. So they definitely made that perfect counter animation too long, I think. Um, because it could be interrupted quite easily and you're in for a bad time once that happened. So that was the only real problem. They had versatility in the combat. I mean, you had short weapons, you had long weapons, you had firearms, short firearms, long firearms, a guillotine gun, um, which was an interesting concept, but a fun one nonetheless. They had a good amount of of um costume stuff um they keep in the helix credits which is something from my understanding they've kept in later games um it's not pay to win but it's pay to make it a hell of a lot easier pay to unlock stuff a lot earlier um so i i'm guessing this is where the monetization of ubisoft really started to come in in these games But, yeah, overall, I had I had little problems with this game. Um, is it by any means a masterpiece? No. I can definitely see why it sits where it sits in the ranking of Assassin's Creed games. Um, that being said, I feel like the next one may be a bit closer. It'll, it'll see how close these bottom two games sit um, after I play it. But overall, I give this probably a 6.5 out of 10. Um, look, by no means great. Um, and the way that I'm playing these games, whilst I am giving myself a space again in between playing these back-to-back -back because I would burn myself out after two if I had to play these back-to-back, -back, um, will I go back to it? I might try and complete the DLC um, just to see finish off Arno's story to completion because it was free DLC. Um, Ubisoft, there must have been so much backlash. Um, I didn't get this game when it came out. I got it on sale probably a year ago for $8. Um, 
so by no means was this a full price day one purchase back in 2014 um it must have been really buggy for them to release the amount of free dlc that they did um so i can only imagine what people went to back went through back then when they first purchased this game after coming off black flag which was such a commercial success and experiencing that must have left a very sour taste in everyone's mouth um so yeah that basically finishes up game 12 of the 12 mainstay assassin's creed games ranked number 12 in terms of how good it is um I agree with it so far from what I've played of the rest of the series. That being said, for this series, and while I go through the series on the podcast, um, I will be playing all of them apart from the first Assassin's Creed. Um, that is the only one that I'm giving myself any kind of leeway and grace and trust myself to talk about fully um, and comprehensively without having another playthrough because I've been the story four times, 100% it twice, um, full 1,000 game score on Xbox, um, bought it day one, um, and that is what got me into the series initially. So I fully trust that I can play the first Assassin's Creed game or talk about it without having another playthrough straight off the back. I might watch a few videos to kind of refresh myself on the finer story points, um, refresh myself on who all the targets are, um, just to give a comprehensive kind of one-day look at it. Um, however, I feel pretty confident that when we get to that one, that will be pretty smooth sailing. But the rest I will have to play through, which brings us to the 11th ranked game. Um which is Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which unsurprisingly is a game that preceded Unity. So this is the one on all modern systems. Um, set in England, I believe. So that will be the next one after I play my Spacer game, which I'm just about finished actually, uh, which is Lake. So I'm not going to do an episode on Lake. Um, Basically, it was just a seven, eight hour filler. So I don't burn myself out jumping from one of these to the next um, because to be blunt, that, yeah, it left a bad taste in my mouth having to finish this game so quickly and wanting to finish this game so quickly because when I definitely started out, I was um, I was loving it. But anyway, that concludes uh, this episode of Revival and Extinction. Um, thank you once again for listening uh i'm your host adam and signing off would with a good afternoon good evening and good night